Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Before we jump into today's content, I have something I want to share with you. In a recent 2019 CEO benchmark study conducted by the Predictive Index, CEOs disclosed that four out of five top challenges they face relate to talent optimization. To win consistently, you need confidence. Confidence that you've got the right people in the right roles, that they're deployed around the right projects, and that those projects are mapped to the right organizational objectives. And you need more than gut level confidence. You need data to back that up. But the truth is, the rapid pace of change is exhausting. People and systems are being pushed to the edge, and diversity, equality, and inclusion issues remain unresolved. In this age of empathy, we can do better. That's why I'm super excited about a new talent optimization platform that Ben Strout, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions and a certified partner with the Predictive Index, is ready to show you. This technology-enabled, data-driven platform will give you an unfair advantage so you can win and succeed more. Visit peoplegetresults.com and use the code RAINMAKER to schedule your free personalized assessment and demo today. That's peoplegetresults.com, and don't forget to use the code RAINMAKER today. Hey, this is Andrew Olson with the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, and I am here today with two very good friends and two of the smartest fundraisers I know, Derek Baker, who's president of Dickerson Baker & Associates, and Paul Martin, senior partner at Dickerson Baker & Associates. Gentlemen, welcome to the show this morning. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. Yeah, really excited for this conversation. But before I jump into anything, Derek, if you could take a few minutes and just talk to our listeners a little bit about who Dickerson Baker is and what y'all do. Absolutely. We, uh, we are a uh, nonprofit consultant firm, and we work with nonprofit uh, organizations, principally faith-based, but not exclusively faith-based, uh, all over the country. Uh, we focus kind of on three things in particular, helping organizations uh, develop an abundance of resources. So we have a lot of different types of fundraising consulting, particularly capital campaigns and annual fund consulting. Uh, the second thing that we focus on are helping uh, organizations find and recruit top talent because people are such an important part of success in, in organizations and then helping organizations to chart effective strategies. So that's kind of our philosophy of, of the equation of success in any sort of nonprofit work is uh, if you can have an abundance of resources, really talented people and effective strategy, there's no telling what you can do. Awesome. So we're here today because you guys just commissioned and, and completed a, a study titled Charitable Giving in the Wake of COVID-19. I, first of all, want to know, you know, what, what brought you to the point of saying we've got to do this study? Well, it, it really was um, the unprecedented nature of the situation that we're in. We had a lot of clients asking us, a lot of organizations asking us for advice. And the best we could do was kind of look back on previous crises. You know, we've, we've been in business as a company for 35 years. And so we looked back at, for instance, uh, what happened, uh, you know, relative to other crises that have, that have depressed giving. There's been really three in, uh, in the 35 years that we've been in, in business prior to COVID. One was the Black Monday crash in 1987. The other was uh, really centered around 9-11. And then finally, of course, the financial market crash. But the lessons learned from those could only go so far. And, and uh, we really felt like we need to have a better handle on what's going to happen with giving in, uh, in the wake of COVID-19. And what better way to do that than to talk directly to donors. And that's exactly what we decided to do. When was this study in market, if you will? When, when were you actually talking to donors about this? 
Well, it, it, uh, we fielded the study from May 29 to June 22. That was uh, when the study was active. And, and during that timeline, that was probably, I mean, 2020 has been an incredibly tumultuous year. That was probably the, one of the most tumultuous time periods. You had, you know, the second, second surge of, of some of the, uh, you know, some of the states uh, seeing a, a, another surge of COVID. Um, you had the, the, you know, the shooting of George Floyd and a lot of the demonstrations and protests that were happening in that context. So there was a tremendous amount of, of tumult and, and things happening in the country at that time. I think what's heartening to me is that, you know, uh, one of the lessons that we took from, the, from, from studying past crises, one of the things that we shared with our clients back in March was giving is resilient. People give through difficult times. And, and this, this study just makes it clear. It's so encouraging to see that even though this study was conducted during some incredibly tumultuous times, people are intending to continue to give and give generously. Yeah, I, I thought that was fascinating as well. And I've, I've got a couple of questions on that. But before we get into that, whenever I see a study like this, I, I always have a couple of questions about how it was conducted, who the audience is, particularly for something as encouraging as we're seeing here. Talk a little bit about what kind of donors Absolutely, reaching out to in this conversation. Well, first of all, uh, we have we have the benefit of having a professional researchist on our staff. Uh, his name is Dr. Paul Vertz. He has over thirty years of of experience doing research, doing market research. Uh, he has a PhD in market research, and so that that's a real benefit to have a top notch professional research researchers on the team. We we wanted to really look at uh, particularly mid and med, mid and major giving. Uh, that's an area where our, our firm tends to focus. That's an area where we have uh, a lot of the client uh, work that we do. And so we thought it was important to really get an understanding of that segment of giving. That segment of giving, as you know, Andrew, also accounts for typically 50% or more of most organizations' fundraising revenue. And so it's a very important segment of giving. And a couple of other studies had already been done on some smaller segments of giving. We needed, uh, what Doc Vertz told us is uh, in order to, to get the sample size, the, the margin of error that we needed, you know, which was the industry standard of 3% margin of error, 95% confidence, we needed about a thousand, roughly a thousand uh, uh, respondents to the survey. And so we did not have a sufficient number of contacts on our team to, to go directly to donors. Most of, you know, as, as, a, as a fundraising consulting firm, we, we've seen lots of lists and we've worked with lots of lists, but they're not our lists. And so we can't, you know, we, we, don't, have, uh, we don't have permission. And so we worked, we, we approached a number of different organizations, a number of our clients, a number of others. And we got cooperation from 17 different organizations who, who allowed us to, uh, to survey their, their, their mid and major donors in particular. The criteria that, we're asking, that we were asking for was anybody who had given a gift of at least, a, th- a cumulative giving of at least $1,000 in 2018 or 2019 and, and allow us to survey them. And so we had 17 organizations uh, agree to do that, principally faith-based. So this is largely, uh, largely faith-based marketplace uh, survey, but um, uh, I think the application is, uh, is across the board. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I think what we see is the donors who give to faith-based organizations also are just charitable, right? And they're giving right. to other organizations, sometimes dozens of others. So, so I would agree with you. I think there's probably a lot of crossover value, regardless of the, the type of organization that someone works in at you know, any given point. So I want to I want to get a little bit into the, the study findings now. Paul, I'm curious if you can speak to this. So one of the key findings in the study that I think, you know, I, I've seen it across the social media in the last week or so since you guys released the findings, and I've seen people talking about, the, you know, this encouraging stat that something like 85% of donors surveyed said they expect to continue giving 
consistently through the end of 2020 or even increase their giving compared to 2019. I was surprised at that. What do you make of that statistic? Well, you're not alone. We were surprised too, Andrew. Uh, when you start off uh, doing a research study of this magnitude, you have no idea how it's going to wind up. And at the end of it, we were uh, frankly, very surprised, so much so surprised, we had engineered in some veracity work to make certain that, um, there, that this was a valid finding, that any finding would be a valid finding. And the way we did it, we asked a number of questions that followed up. But as you said, the most important thing to take away, 85% of donors are staying. They will give the same as they gave in 2019 or more in this calendar year. Now, uh, this was, once again, as Derek said, this was a June uh, measurement, and the market's gone better since then. So we actually believe that, that this, this is a solid finding, and it could, could improve beyond this based upon market conditions. At this point, uh, specifically, let me drill into something. We said 85%. I want to keep talking that number of major and mid-level donors are likely to give the same or more in the second half of 2020. 25% of all donors are going to increase. That's a big number that we're going to see an increase. So the, the question we had is, why are you going to increase? What, Andrew, I'm going to beat you to the punch on that question. <laughs> It's the next one, so go for it. <laughs> why, why on earth in a pandemic are we seeing people give more? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. You touched on one earlier. First off, faith-based donors see an opportunity for the gospel to move forward. And we found their number one driver, motivationally, will be outreach evangelism and discipleship. That is really driving everything else, but they're not leaving the physical needs alone. The second and third pop most popular causes, number two, was dealing with vulnerable populations here at home, and number three was dealing with uh, international relief and development. So you're seeing out of that, far and away, outreach evangelism and discipleship was the principal driver in their heart. So that accounts for donor motivation. Now let's talk about capacity. In the middle of a pandemic, how do they have capacity to actually move forward? So we asked those questions. Again, trying to make certain and prove that this was a valid finding. Uh, almost 10% of donors told us their financial situation is actually better this year. It's a story you're not going to hear in the media. Media is talking about man bites dog stories. They're only good in, in, in bad news, and that's what, uh, you know, uh, fear-driven news, that's what you're going to hear. What you're not going to hear, and I think a lot of it is because of donor modesty, you're not going to hear when a donor, a major donor or a mid-level donor says, you know, I actually am thinking about making a bigger gift this year. Now, on the other hand of that, we had uh, less than 6% said their income had declined. Okay, so there were real declines in the, in the data. But in spite of those declines, still we saw an enormous number of donors wanted to elevate their giving in this calendar year. And, and I'm not sure if you have data on this or not, but I'm, I'm curious to know if there's anything at an underlying level that we can know about those donors beyond just that they either had more income or less, but like demographically speaking, is there anything that makes that universe of 25% unique relative to the overall? 
Uh, well, remember, we were doing mid-level and major donors, people who are, and let me, let me break that out for you, because I think that gives us a little bit of actionable work on it. Uh, for our definition for the survey, based upon the participants of the survey, the, the participating 17 organizations, uh, we sliced uh, the segments. Mid-level was $1,000 to $5,000 in 2019 giving. Uh, majors, $5,000 or greater in 2019 giving. And how that broke out were the mids uh, made up about 51% of the sample. So it's, it's pretty big, but frankly, the majors are at 39%. And that is a wonderful population to do a deep dive statistically. Now, okay, you can do math. That means there's 10% that are left. Where did the 10% go? They qualified as mid or major in 2018, but not in 2019. We wanted to we wanted to make certain that we understood trajectories, and that helped us get a little bit better um, move on where where the donor was heading. Okay. Did you see any differences related to geography? Did you, did you see, for example, a higher percentage of people saying they might give more if they were in the Midwest versus the coasts, or urban versus suburban? Was there any kind of variation related to that? Not really. Okay. Um, we, one of the things we wanted to track also was early opening states versus those that oh, weren't early opening. Uh, so it, you were talking about geography. That's one of the great geographical differences in the pandemic. But in 44 states plus the District of Columbia, it was pretty even. You might see a little bit more excitement in the Midwest, but frankly, it was all within band. Okay. That's actually, I think, really encouraging that it's not one or two pockets of high wealth, you know, driving the, the results, but it's, it's really sort of normalized across all the markets. So one of the things I want to go back to, you said that given market conditions, given that the market's been up recently, you actually think that if that sustains, it, this might even get better. Yeah, and I think it'll support that. Uh, for instance, uh, let's go back to the reasons that the donors gave. To only 2.3% of the donors said that investments are not doing as well this year. And this was in early June. We think that number is mitigated somewhat by now. I mean, so, frankly, a couple of days ago, we barely missed a market high. So yeah. that's a different world. So I have two questions on this. The first, and I'm going to go in reverse order, but the first one is you just said that one of the things that you were told by these respondents was that their investments weren't doing worse this year than prior. So that's a key point here, I think, that really when it comes down to it, we're talking about people who are giving either primarily or significantly out of their assets rather than out of operating cash. Can you talk a little bit about the, the resilience of being able to, to tap into donors who are given out of assets versus just operating cash? Well, uh, we didn't actually measure where the f the funding was coming from. Okay. We were more 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 interested in current condition because we felt like that would point us toward the end of the year in a very strong way. Okay. Um, and frankly, we're trying to capture the donor's emotion and the you know as they're looking forward to to, to making decisions. Uh, let's get back to the donors because uh, this is really the reasons for giving more. Uh, the, the top, their financial situation is better. 
let's remember that almost 10% of your donors financial situation is better. Seek that out. The donors are going to volunteer to you. Once again, back to donor modesty, they're going to tell you when they can't make the gift they made last year because of financial reasons. You're going to hear that. But what you may not hear unless you probe for it is actually they're in a better place. And so that's going to take, if you're a major gift officer, if you're a mid-level officer, don't be surprised if you lay out a good question that it may come back to, to surprise you. Be prepared for it. But the, the other reasons for giving more, the donors see the needs are much greater this year. They're smart. They've been through a few of these. Uh, demographically, they're ahead of us in years. They understand what these things mean, and they said, we're ready to help people. And so they see the needs are greater. Uh, they also see uh, nonprofits that they give to are probably going to have COVID-related shortfalls. So they want to stand up for that. And frankly, at the end of it, they understand community, and they're seeing the same news reports you are. They're as concerned about co the seriousness of COVID-19 because they take it very, very seriously. But there's a contrast I, I want talked about in just a minute. But they they take the the disease very seriously, but they they look at it and say, look, others can't give. We've got to fill the gap. So those are going to be key motivators for those who can give and are intent oriented towards giving more this year. Yeah, you know it's a great point. I actually I, I work with a global evangelistic ministry, and they they relate a story that one of their mid level donors who gives a, a significant monthly gift was hit in a layoff. But the day she was hit in the layoff, she called them and said, I understand that, you know, even though I got hit in this layoff, there are going to be people who are going to have it worse and you're going to need more resources. So I want to double my monthly gift. I mean, so, I mean, that, that's the mentality of a lot of these donors that I think we're talking about, which is, it's staggering to me that, that somebody would make that kind of decision. But I think it just points to the level of generosity. I, I think it does. I think uh, joyous giving, giving even. Uh, let's go even beyond generosity. They see the needs. They want to be a part of the solution. And I think that's what we, oftentimes we think a, a donor is merely a financial transaction rather than somebody who's trying to make an impact. And by look, this is what we saw throughout the study. People want to make an impact. And they see right now People are hurting, and those who are um, who are uh, uh, believers are saying now's the time that they believe evangelism and the gospel should go forward. So let's talk a little bit about sort of donors who give in emergency situations, because oftentimes you'll hear consultants and people in the market say, if someone gives to a, a crisis situation, they're a either going to be a bad donor or you know, for long-term giving, or it's going to be really difficult to get them to ever give to something else again. What did you find, if anything, related to that in the study? Well, what we measured on this one was whether those early gifts uh, that we received, uh, many of our rescue missions called and said, uh, hey, I'm, I'm receiving a number of gifts from people I normally don't receive anything from until November. Is this all I'm going to see from them this year? And great question. So we thought we'd ask it. And, uh, you know, when in doubt, ask the donor. Okay. And so uh, in this case, blew us away again. Donors are amazing. That's why it's better to ask them to a than to ask somebody in the shop. 71% uh, of the donors said that those special gifts they, that the organizations received uh, 
71% said those uh, gifts are over and above. They're, they're not out of regular giving. They said this gift in March, there's more coming. 71% said that. 71%. And then sick. another 26% said, hey, I'm uncertain about it. Talk to me. Huh. So I, by the end of this, 97%, 97%, that's almost everybody, is saying, I'm interested. That, that, that special gift was about a special circumstance that I see. Let's keep going. Let's keep the conversation alive. That, that's pretty awesome, actually. All right. So one of the other things that I was interested in in the study is related to event fundraising. And, and I want to frame this by saying I've had a number of conversations in the last week with people saying, how soon can we start events again? We are planning for events in September. We're planning for events in October. We, you know, our organization gets 70% of our revenue from events, whatever, right? I, I'm a little personally shocked that people haven't said, well, hey, wait a minute, let's take this crisis and use it as an opportunity to never have to do events again. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> Talk to me about how donors responded to the idea of, of participating in fundraising events in the future. Like, what, what did you hear there? Okay, they don't want to get in a big room with a lot of people, okay. and they don't want to get in a room for a long time with a lot of people. So, yeah, let's think about duration, because this disease is about duration of exposure, and, I, and, and then also this disease is about the number of people who might be carriers, and, and donors are pretty savvy on this. They've been keeping up. They've done their homework, and many of them are in vulnerable uh, times of their lives. Sure. Which Oh, could I, could I catch it and then have a real problem with it? So let me let me give you some uh, real quick. The weekend fundraisers. Uh, if you raise a lot of money in a ballroom or a retreat center, yeah, don't don't plan on that happening this year. Uh, that's not what you. Re that's going to blow up your plan. You remember how hard it is, Andrew. You've been on the phone trying to get that those last donors into that event, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't plan on that happening this year. 42% of the donors we survey said, I'm not getting in a resort to do a fundraising weekend. 42% mm. are until the vaccine's ready. Until the, not just vaccine. Until the vaccine is ready. Okay. All right. So That's a really interesting point. I would not plan on a ballroom. I, this is, this is hard, but I would not plan on a ballroom or a, a resort or conference center fundraising until the vaccine was ready. That's what they're telling us. Did you have the same, same level of pushback to the idea of sitting down one-on-one -on -one with a fundraiser? By no means. Individual okay. cultivation is a high-trust environment, and as long as you're taking precautions and you let them know, they're saying, yeah, I want to hear more. In fact, over uh, almost, uh, well, right now, Half of the uh, donors, maybe a little bit better than that, are saying one-on-one -on -one meeting. Let's go. Call me. Okay. And, by the way, small groups are good too. Oh, if good. I was just going to ask a, that. Yeah, yeah, small groups at a church, maybe at a mission. But remember, you got to tell them this is a small, carefully selected group. Social distancing is going on. You're putting all the precautions in place when you're making the invitation, which means. Written invitations are going to be harder to evoke that. It's going to be a lot of foam. Mm. And it's going to take a lot more effort to get a hold of those people for small groups. I do believe, think, think about moving from the big room 
to one-on-one -on -one cultivation. And if uh, just to be clear, if, if you're uncomfortable with small group or one-on-one -on -one cultivation, do make certain you go out and take a look at our website. We provide some helps. Plus also, um, for your audience, we would love to be able to um, uh, uh, schedule up a time with one of our consultants for a free talk through around some of your plans that might be on a one-on-one -on -one meeting or a small group gathering, because that's going to be key. Be, be really sharp on your individual cultivation skills this year. So one of the other things that, that I thought was interesting, you know, so much of what you found in this study is really positive. But towards the end of your summary, there is a warning call, right? Talk to us about, about that warning call and what you see moving into the future related to it. Let me jump in on that one, Andrew. One of the most heartening uh, results of this study that we saw was that 85% that, that Paul, Paul referenced early. 85% of donors that we surveyed said that they would give more and that they, uh, or the same as last year. Of that 85%, it broke down to 60% said they'd give the same, and 25% said they would give more. There's 15% that said they're going to give less, okay, um, due to circumstances. And when we dug into why, it was principally economic factors. I mean, they were either their household was was being impacted by COVID in a way that, that caused them financially to be in a situation that they had to give less. The, the really good news of that is that 25% who are going to give more is very likely to offset the 15% who are going to give less, right? Sure. But when you look at the, when you look at the overall, that also means that only 60% of giving is going to be stable, right? Hmm. You've got 40% that's going to be fluid and in flux. And I think the, the, the warning here is that 15% may not be across the board. I think what we have seen in previous crises, we've seen this in, in, you know, in the 2008 in particular, gains and losses don't get evenly distributed. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just uh, this past Saturday that, that, that highlighted that in, this, in, in, in the context of COVID, even right now, right? And we're not even into the, into the fall fundraising season yet, but even right now, some organizations are really suffering, right? And some organizations are, 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 are actually seeing increases in gains. And I think the mistake would be to assume that that's simply because donors are shifting their priorities to different things. What we saw in this study is there is virtually no shift in giving priorities. The hierarchy of giving priorities pre-COVID and the hierarchy post-COVID, exactly the same. No statistical difference whatsoever. They do tend to, donors, those donors that are going to give more, the ones that we surveyed, they do tend to lean towards the things that are most important to them and the things that were most important to them pre-COVID are the things that are most important to them post-COVID. And so they're going to lean in more. But by the same token, uh, donors are just being much more discretionary. And I think that, you know, who's, who is going to be kind of the quote unquote winner and who's going to be the loser? I think those organizations, what we have seen in previous situations and we see it, we even see it now, I think the first instinct that people have when crisis hits is to, is to kind of hunker down, right? Is to fall back, hunker down, be careful, be cautious, don't offend, right? I believe, we believe, we're counseling our clients to do exactly the opposite, right? Same. To lean in, to, to, to press on the gas pedal, to push forward, because you have to do a phenomenal job of articulating your case. You have to explain the why and the how and the need. And you have to do that in a way that, that is sensitive to donor, to donor needs and their attentiveness, 
especially in a situation where there's a tremendous amount of noise in the marketplace right now. So I totally agree with that. We're counseling our clients to do the exact same thing. And for those that are uh, heeding the advice, we're seeing some great returns, right? I'm curious, particularly around the major gift side, talk to me about what the challenges are faced by the talent. So the people who are doing the fundraising, like given all the positives, but given this risk, what are some things that, that people should be watching out for? Like what, you know, the new major gift officer, the, the gift officer that's maybe not resourced the, the way that she or he would prefer, like what do they need to watch out for and what are the opportunities they should be looking for? I would say number one thing to watch out for is making assumptions. Okay. Do not make assumptions about your donors. Do not make assumptions about anything right now. You know, when in doubt, ask, which is biggest reason we did this store, this study, right? I think we hear a lot of stories about people who are hurting about, you know, that one donor story, that one donor visitor, that one donor call that you have, you know, where you, you talk to somebody and they're just, they're hurting, their business is suffering or they're, you know, they're, they've been laid off or something like that. And that sticks in your mind. And the biggest mistake you can make is to, is to kind of assume that that applies across the board to other donors. And the truth is, what, what, we, what, the, what, what donors told us in the study, two-thirds of the donors in the study said, we are really not impacted by COVID at all, okay? Our situation, our personal situation, our household situation, two-thirds said, we are not impacted at all. Fewer than 6% said that they've seen household decline in income versus the 9.5% that said, we've actually, we're actually having a better year. So one of the biggest mistakes I think that, or that people can make is to make assumptions that people can't give or they won't give or that we're in a bad situation and to, you know. So it, it's, it's hard for, for many folks to be assertive in a, in a way which is polite and personable. But, but you know, I think, I think leaning into those skills, leaning in, uh, we obviously can't, really lean into the big event skills, right? I mean, the, the pitch, the presentation, hiring outsiders to, to put on a, a great media presentation. You have to really lean into the personal, personal engagement. So let's, let's stay on that topic for a second. What, you know, w- with the changes for, you know, more donors, you know, being open, at least what I've seen, being open to Zoom conversations or WebEx or something like that, you know, obviously having to work the phones more, I mean, what other areas do you, do you feel like, you know, the, the average major gift officer really needs to focus their time in right now? And are you seeing that there's one area that's more difficult than other? Is it, is it more difficult to get a meeting these days? Is it, you know, what, what are you seeing in that area that, that they should be focused on? Right. So here's the key takeaway for me from this study. The number one thing for everybody who's listening to this today, I think the key takeaway that I found was, just go about the business of fundraising. Just get about the business of fundraising. 80% of donors basically said when we asked them that they would be willing to meet either now or in the very near future. Remember, we did this study in, in, in June and it's now August. And so uh, when, when you look at the folks that were even ready half, Paul mentioned earlier, half were ready now back in June. And, 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 and a number said, we'll be, we'll be ready in one or two months. And this was a, there were two assumptions that we built into it, that the trends, that the current trends continue from the virus. And, and so that there's, you know, and the second was that appropriate health and safety measures were in place, social distancing, mask wearing, things like that, you know, um, sanitation. But, you know, 80% said, 
we're ready to see you now. We're ready to attend a small group event. We're ready to, to meet one-on-one -on -one with fundraisers. So I think that the, what the overriding assumption that people have right now is that you have to lean into virtual. And my message right, right now today is get about the business of fundraising. Do what you do. Do what you do well. Be attentive to donor needs and don't forget about the 20 or 25% that are going to wait for a vaccine. Don't forget about those folks. And you have to be careful to, 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 to engage those folks virtually. So you talk about events, for instance. I would not, as Paul said, I would not throw a big ballroom event. But you can hold a smaller event, invite people to the event, invite them to come to the event, and folks will come to the event, and then live stream it for those that don't, right? Yeah. So you're giving, you're not losing the 20, 25% that for whatever reason, you know, it could, there was an age correlation there, right? The higher age groups had a tendency to, to want to wait for the vaccine. They're at higher risk, obviously, from the virus. And, uh, and, and that can correlate with, with, with larger donors, as you know. And so being careful, not, you know, be attentive to donors' needs, but don't take your foot off the gas. So I think that's great advice. Um, one thing we haven't really talked about yet in this conversation is message, right? In this particular time period, how do you think, or do you think that uh, an organization needs to modify their message? You know, I hear a lot of people saying, well, we've got to continue to be as relevant related to COVID as possible. Um, but then I have other clients who say, not at all. You know, we're, we might mention it once or twice, but really we're going to focus in on our core message. What do you, where, where are you on the spectrum? You know, what the data shows us, what the, what the study showed us is that donors are interested in the same things they were interested in pre-COVID. They're not, they're not shifting their priority. It's not all about COVID right now. What we tell our clients is you can't be tone deaf. You have to be relevant. But don't try to jump through hoops to make everything about COVID because the donors are not just interested in COVID. They're interested in the exact same things they were interested in before COVID. And so, you know, I, what I would say is do a good job of articulating your vision, your mission. One of the things to definitely focus on, donors are more focused on needs right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you, we, we've had clients ask us like, well, you know, how transparent should we be about this or that crisis? And my advice to them has been be completely transparent because they, donors are responding to needs, right? But, but it, does, it doesn't need to be all about COVID. It's about what you do. It's about your mission. It's about, you know, the, 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 the important work that you do. They were investing in that pre-COVID and they're going to, that they told us 92%, right? Said, we're not changing any of that. 8%, a little bit of shift right? But people want to give to the causes that they gave to pre-COVID. That's the same thing that, that interests them. Don't be tone deaf, right? And, and, be, uh, and keep it relevant to today, but don't try to make it all about COVID. Okay, great. Let's talk a little bit about and get your advice for organizations that maybe don't have a significant major gift operation right now, but recognizing everything that's going on, they probably realize, wow, we should have been working on this two years ago. What, what's your guidance for them in this particular time period? Obviously, you, you've already said, stay the course, be about what you're about, you know, maintain a, a relevant message. But is there any difference in approach for an organization that doesn't yet have that capacity versus one that already does? Yeah, I, I would say to any organization that does not have a focus on major giving, mid, mid and major giving in particular, uh, in engaging those donors, um, it's as important now as it ever was and probably more important now than it ever is. It, it's just something that you can't afford not to be doing. But obviously some folks 
you know, it takes a little bit of time to get that right. It takes some, some challenge to get that right. That's, that's what we do. If it were easy, we wouldn't exist, right? I mean, if it, if it were easy, you wouldn't need consulting firms like Dickerson Baker to help, or, you know, help organizations, but that's what sure. we do. Um, but it really boils down to, I think, you know, messaging is key. I think a lot of folks um, get, in, get too much into the weeds in the messaging, making sure you're focusing on the needs, the needs that you're solving, the why. Derek, I mean, I think a lot of this makes a ton of sense to me. One of the other things that you guys do as a matter of course in your business is you often are, are coaching uh, C-level executives, right? I'm curious to know what guidance or encouragement you might have for, for that CEO right now who's, who's nervous about meeting their budget, who's concerned about losing key staff during a crisis, who is just maybe unsure of themselves because they've never had to lead an organization or a group of people through something like this. What are, what are you saying to those people right now? You know, we're getting a lot of those questions um, and we're getting a lot of them from, our de from development staff who are saying, my CEO or my executive director is pushing me or the board is pushing me. What, what should we expect? What are the goals? And our answer to that is don't diminish your goals. Keep the goals what they were. Um, understand it's a challenging environment. Understand that, you, you know, um, a lot of organizations are doing some cuts. I think the worst cuts they can do right now is in their fundraising staff, right? In, in their fundraising department. Uh, they need to keep the foot on the gas. Donors are not going to give less. They are likely going to give the same and we think more. What, one of the things about the crises in the past that, that have tended to uh, impact overall giving. Those, the ones that have had the most impact on overall giving occurred in the second half of the year, right? Mm. We looked at it, the October market crash, the, you know, September 11, 9-11, sure. um, the, the, the financial market crash in 2008 happened in September. All of those happened in the second half of the year. The benefit that we have, donors are highly resilient and they're very adaptable. And the worst of it is now behind us, we hope and we pray. Um, and as we move into the second half of the year, donors are very adaptable and they're very uh, resilient. And so I think staying the course would be the key message I would give. Stay the course. Don't, don't set aside your longer term plans. Don't, don't operate in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Stay the course. Be unab unapologetic right? Be bold and unapologetic in making your case and in seeing donors and in asking for gifts because people will respond. They will gift. If, if you pull back, if you become kind of mired in fear and uncertainty and doubt, uh, donors will sense that and they'll probably shift their giving somewhere else. All right. That was good. I have one more question for you and you actually kind of set me up with it when you talked about the timing of those other crises. And this is, this is a little bit of like asking you to read the tea leaves, I recognize. Um, and I don't want to get into politics per se here. But what happens with all of this positive news after the election? You know, I, I believe that if one party wins, things sort of stay the same. If another party wins, we may see a dip in the market. Probably not for a long term, but, but there might be a dip. What are you guys, what, what are you seeing around that? What are you thinking around that? What are you counseling clients on? You know, we, we actually did a study last year. It was actually pre-COVID um, okay. early this year to, to look at uh, what, what's been the impact of giving on elections. We have a blog on our website about this. And the, you know, the impact on giving of elections is virtually zero. Um, there, there's really no correlation between election years and giving, regardless of who wins. Now, there's a strong correlation between economic growth and economic perception and, 
and, and giving. Right now, what our study showed is that donors are largely optimistic about the, about the economy despite COVID. And so uh, they, they understand that we're in a bit of a downturn, but most, you know, I think it was uh, somewhere in the ballpark of two thirds um, said that we're going to return to pre-pandemic economic levels by, you know, early, mid next year. And so that's overall, that's very positive. But we're, you know, if in fact donors' perceptions about the economy change based on what happens in the election, and a lot of times in, the, in these elections, it has to do with who's appointed to different positions, what they talk about, at, you know, what they talk about during the election season is a lot of times different what they talk about in the weeks following their right the, the, the if they win and so they start the first thing they start to do is smooth over people's fears and they, hey, it's we're not gonna actually do what we said we were gonna do don't right. worry about it right <laughs> and then things will smooth out and so we've seen that before in other uh, I mean we saw that with the with with the election of Donald Trump right it was like as soon as he was elected it was like oh my gosh the world is over and then people realized you know what there's there's still you know they're still doing some things that are that they're not doing anything quite wild and crazy, at least in most people's, you know, perceptions sure. economically. I think the same would be true regardless of who wins. They'll have some some folks in charge of the Fed and in charge of economic policy and monetary policy. It's kind of the pattern that has always happened. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. I think that's encouraging. We are about out of time, but before I let you go, if someone wants to know more about the study or wants to know more about Dickerson Baker and engage with you guys, what's the best way for people to reach you? Our website, DickersonBaker.com. That's uh, Dickerson Baker with two Ks, um, but DickersonBaker.com is the best oh. place. So you can they can download copy of this of the actual study report from there if they want to see the study report. They want to see the charts and the full study report, as well as information about how to fundraise through COVID and other stuff that we have available for as resources for uh, for for nonprofit organizations. Awesome. Well, Derek and Paul, thank you both for being here. Really appreciate the conversation. Appreciate the contribution to the community. Thanks, Andrew. We really appreciate your contribution to the community. This is a great podcast. Thanks for inviting us to be part of it. Thank you much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, It will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.